A positive mind finds a way it can be done. A negative mind looks for all the ways that it can't be done. Napoleon Hill. Welcome to the Simply Retirement Podcast with your host, Eric Blake. This show offers valuable insights and advice on retirement planning, specifically tailored for women. Join us as we explore various challenges that arise during retirement planning and discuss practical ways to overcome them. With years of experience in retirement planning as a financial professional, Eric brings a wealth of knowledge to the table. He is joined by guests who will also offer unique perspectives and insights. Together, they provide practical tips and strategies to help you delegate some of the heavy lifting and make the most of your retirement. Whether you are a widow, divorced, or simply ready to take control of your financial future, this podcast is designed to help you navigate the complexities of retirement planning and make the most of this exciting phase of life. We take a step-by-step approach to help you understand what's next and guide you through the retirement planning journey. So sit back, relax, and let us help you build your retirement on your terms with another episode of the Simply Retirement Podcast with Eric Blake. Welcome to the Simply Retirement Podcast with your host, Eric Blake. Today, we're going to be talking about preparing for retirement, seven essential strategies for successful investing in retirement. I'm Wendy McConnell. Hi there, Eric. How are you? I am doing very well. I'm doing very well. We uh, celebrated my son's graduation last night, so uh, we're all on a high. Eric. Yeah. Oh, I'm sorry. College. Yeah. College. Oh, yeah. What a, yeah, that's so awesome. Yeah, he's uh, he's been at work. It's been a it's been a crazy journey. Obviously, the pandemic and everything else he's had to deal with over the last you know, few years. It's I'm proud of him. So I'm very happy that uh, that he got it done and uh, he's on to the next phase. That is that is good news. It's a big a big moment in life. I remember yeah. it well. So Absolutely. let's talk a little bit about Napoleon Hill and the quote that you had brought up. We often talk about how the differences between looking at the positive and looking at the negative mm-hmm. and this explains that greatly. Yeah. And I think it's, I always, when I, when I do these quotes, I, I always love uh, finding quotes that apply to the topic of the day. And actually uh, I've got a, just a quick story that I think really does tie to this quote as well. It's, and it's, I don't I don't want to call it a rant, but it's a, it's a story that, exemplifies why this podcast was so important to me and the topics that we, that we talk about with helping women plan for retirement. And it's it's almost, it's probably, maybe it's a little more drastic of an example, but I had a conversation with a, with a lady just yesterday. And, you know, we talked last in our, in our second episode, talking about the Simply Retirement Roadmap process and that first step being a 15-minute introductory phone call. So I had a 15-minute introductory phone call with a lady who's she's actually still married, and her, I can tell from the notes that she gave me in advance that there was a level of urgency to the call. And her big concern or big question was, what does she do about Social Security and her for her in light of the fact that she may be considering filing for divorce? So it's it's one of those situations that, you know, it's, again, more of a maybe a drastic example, but you know, call always our our example clients always calls Bob and Sue. So Sue's uh, Sue's married to Bob, of course, and Bob made the decision. He's he took Social Security sixty two. Her quote was, "He did not talk to me about that. He just did it." Wow. Bob also has a pension that Bob chose to take a life only benefit on, meaning there is no survivor benefit. Okay. 
So she's left in this situation of saying, okay, how do I, what happened? If we do get divorced, what happens to me? And, you know, her benefit, she gave me her benefit amount and it's much smaller because typical example, she spent most of her years or many of her working years taking care of family. And it's one of those scenarios that, you know, just stresses the importance of women taking a proactive role in the financial planning, in the retirement planning process, because you there are, unfortunately, you do get to the point where it can almost be too late. And it's it's really now saying, okay, if we're talking about a positive mind and a negative mindset, it's about how how can we turn this into a positive situation? Because you can very easily see that taking a negative mindset in this whole thing can be very detrimental. So I think that it was, again, just just one of those situations where it, it just again, this is why I wanted to do the podcast. I want to get this information out there so that you know, in her case, you know, if she if she had heard this, you know, five years ago, maybe she would have had the confidence to have that conversation with him in advance, or at least be part of the conversation because it doesn't sound like she was. And now we're saying, okay, how do we make? Uh, how do we turn you know, lemonade out of lemons here? And it's, right. it's not, it's going to be difficult, but it's one of those situations where you got to be as positive as possible. You got to look for the upside and find these opportunities. And it's really talking about, you know, kind of what I would call the three tenets of a successful retirement plan for women is it's optimizing social security, which is a little bit different than maximizing. There are, there are two different things and we'll, we'll have topics that cover that in, in the future, optimizing social security, minimizing taxes and investing smarter. And that's what today is about is, you know, invest, being able to invest smarter, looking at these seven essential strategies to uh, to successful investing in retirement. And I think one of the things you have to be aware of is, is, you know, investing in retirement is not the same as investing during your working years. There's different strategies, different concepts that you have to be aware of. And the other thing I would tell you is, you know, investments are, they're just one piece of the puzzle. I talk a lot about the puzzle. I talked about in the very beginning that a lot of this is like putting together a puzzle and investments is just one part of that. And it might not even not necessarily be the most important part. You know, and that's as we get into some of these situations that uh, that call for making smarter decisions, the very first thing you have to do, this is step one, this is strategy one, is looking at having a plan. You know, because you hear on the news, you, get, you know, there's 24-7, there's... Everything you hear on the news is telling you to do something. You need to do something. The market's down, do something. The market's up, do something. It's always, it's always, it's always something. Mm-hmm. But you know, when you think about uh, having a plan, the first thing you want to identify is, you know, what are your goals? What does retirement look like to you? Is I use, use the example of, you know, we think about a pilot who's going to be flying to Hawaii, right? They know where they're going. They know where they're starting from. But the most important part is having the flight pad. Plan, right. Right. And because, you know, you think about how many adjustments that a, that a pilot makes when they're flying them that any distance, but that distance, particularly, if you don't know what your destination is, it makes it harder to make those adjustments. And that's kind of the way I look at retirement planning or having a plan. And you're just kind of plugging investments is just one of the tools that you're using to achieve that goal. So looking at things that, you know, when do you, when would you like to retire? Uh, when do you anticipate, uh, what do you anticipate doing with your time? What's going to be different? I ask the question, you know, what what is it that you would like to do in retirement that you can't do today? And that's again part of that plan. You know, what other goals do you have? What are the things? Why are these things important to you? And then how much are these going to cost? And then from there, you say, okay, if I I got to establish my purpose, build my plan, build my financial plan, and then put my portfolio into that process. So that's that's what I would call the essential strategy number one. What is it that makes today's retirement landscape so unique? 
I think when you're really looking at saying, okay, if we look back, you know, 40, 50 years ago, so many people at that point, they had pension plans. So they had fixed income sources. There was a point, you know, we, there's a lot of talk now about what the, what the situation is with social security. Is it going to, are they going broke? Well, you know, this is not the first time this conversation has been had. The last significant uh, revamp of the social security system happened in the early eighties, 1983. So at that point you say, okay, oh, everything, the system's great. Everybody's good. So we got, I've got pensions, I've got social security, I've got all these different things. But over time, we know that most companies have done away with pensions. They put all that burden onto the employees. So you are responsible for your own retirement. You have to say, you have to be a good investor, a smart investor in order to give yourself the highest probability of reaching your retirement goals. Again, you don't have a monthly income that's coming in outside of social security. Now, again, I always talk about how important social security is. I think it's one of the most underrated sources of retirement income. But for most people, it's not going to be enough. So again, having the plan and making sure that you take advantage of these strategies that we're talking about today. So let's talk about the strategies. There's seven of them, right? There are seven. I hit one of them already with the uh, just having a plan itself. That's that's to step one. I think that's got to be the the background. There's got to be the you know the the foundation of your house that you're going to build. Okay. So what's next then? Next thing is going to be understanding what the true objective is of a retirement portfolio. Again, I talked about the difference between a portfolio and investment strategy before you retire versus the investment strategy during retirement. So you got to realize that, you know, when I ask the question about, you know, I have somebody, you know, what is your number one fear in retirement? Most people are going to say, well, I, you know, I don't want to run out of money. That's usually the typical response. But then they say, well, when I ask them what their, what's your primary objective with your portfolio it's preservation of principle. They again, they want it. They feel like they need to be safe. That's that. There's such a, a, a mindset. So many people have that mindset of okay, well now I'm retired. I need to be safe. I need to be conservative. Right. The challenge with that, of course, is that you know if you're going to retire in your early 60s, even mid 60s, whenever you're going to retire, there's a pretty solid chance you're going to need that money to last you 20, 25, 30 years. Hopefully. Hopefully, yeah, exactly. But and the odds are, if you think about, you know, just life expectancy. So for somebody, so for a woman who has reached the age of 60, their life expectancy has now changed. Now their life expectancy is another 24 plus years. So when you hear all these, you know, they talk about the, just the average life expectancy when it's out there in the news or wherever it is, that's, that's for everybody. But once you've achieved a certain age, your life expectancy is now longer. So if you're 60 years old, your life expectancy is about 24 years. As you get to 65, your life expectancy is 20 years. When you get to 70, you're still, you're at 16 years. So you're now we're talking as you get in these, these later stage years, your life expectancy now is increasing because again, you're still alive. Right. <laughs> so the odds are that even then we throw, you know, we throw all the medical advances, we throw all these other, these other factors in there. We're talking about saying, I'm, I'm telling people that, you know, if they're retiring now and they're in their early sixties, you, you at least need to plan for 30 years, if not to till you're 95 or hundred. And there's a great website and we'll make sure we put this in the, in the show notes, of course, the uh, it's www.living2100.com. And it's a really cool life expectancy calculator where you can actually plug in some pretty, some, some pretty basic information and it'll give you a, an estimate of what your life expectancy based based on that information is. So, you know, if somebody who's who's pretty healthy, they eat pretty well, uh, they take care of themselves pretty well. Again, your life expectancy is going to be longer than average, and you have to plan around that. So, when we talk about the true objective of your retirement portfolio, that's it. It's to make sure that you 
have a plan to cover 25, 30, 35 years of income needs. And that's, so so that, that's a little grow. bit different mindset. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Because a lot of people, I think we have this idea that we're going to sock away money, sock away money, and then we're just going to take it out like it's a bank account. But you're saying, no, right. that is the wrong way to go about it. Right. And, that, you know, there's there's a lot of talk now with, with CD rates finally being at some level that people think is, you know, th- you know talking 4%, 4.5%, even 5%, you know, floating around out there with CD rates. Well, okay, let's think about what inflation was in 2022 when you're talking, you know, 8 plus percent inflation. Right. If you're getting four and a half percent on a CD, you're still losing money. It's just a little bit different way of doing it. It's not a decrease in value; it's a decrease in purchasing power. Right. Right. Does that make sense? And it's that's it's a tough. That's a, sometimes that's a big tough concept to to grasp. Right. That you can actually you're not losing value, but you're losing purchasing power if you're not keeping up with inflation. So that's really the, what I would call the primary objective of any successful retirement portfolio should be growth of income over time. Okay. So. What kind of risks should we be taking in retirement then? Well, I think the key thing is it's a, it's about reframe, reframing what risk really is. I think that's the first step. So we know that short-term volatility can be can be really scary. So you think about what happened in 2022. We saw not only you know stocks go down a decent amount, we saw bonds. Bonds had the worst historical year ever. And that's something that, you know, back to the topic of being conservative. Okay, I'm, I'm retired. I need to be conservative. Conservative investors uh, last year, they they don't feel real good about what happened to their portfolios, right? And so it's it can be a challenge, and it's gonna it can be scary. But then we think about okay, if we think about it a little bit differently, so you know, t- a typical you know retirement portfolio that that historically at least has given you a pretty good probability of success, you know, might have sixty percent stocks, forty percent more safe conservative stuff. So I'm not saying you shouldn't have conservative asset classes. But you can't necessarily have everything in those conservative asset classes again because we've got 30 years to plan for at least. But you say you have is you know 60, 40, maybe a 70, 30, 70% stock, 30% portfolio. So instead of thinking about it as kind of one big pile of money, you know, so if I had if I had a million dollars and I just think it's okay, it's a million dollars and it's 70% stocks, 30% bonds, what does that million dollars do? It goes up, it goes down. And that's kind of the mindset people think, well, it goes down too much. That can be pretty scary. So, like you know, a 70-30 portfolio in 2008 went down 24%. You know, 2008 is kind of right in the middle of that financial crisis period. But if we think about it just a little bit differently and say, okay, well, let, let me think about this kind of in two piles of money. So I've got my growth money, I've got that 70% in stocks, the long term that's going to help me keep up with inflation and grow my income over time. But if I think about that 30%, maybe that is a, if I can think about that a little bit differently. So if you take 30%, so less volatile stuff, again, stuff that's going to go up and go down a little bit. So if I if I use just the, the 4% rule, it's kind of general rule of thumb, you know, whether it's it's good or not. Some people may be more conservative, more aggressive, you know, whatever the case might be. But if I say, okay, I'm just going to use the 4% rule. Well, if I take 30, 30% lower volatility assets divided by 4%, that gives me about seven years of income to live off of if or when, more when than if, we get into a difficult market. So if you think about how, uh, you know, the, the the depths of the financial crisis, we look at what historically, what actually happened from October, 2007, when that was kind of the top of the market at that point, And we saw the, the pretty steep decline through 2008, 2009. It realistically was about five and a half years before we got to break even. So where we were in October, 2007, back to just breaking even. So about five and a half years. 
Well, if I could tell you, okay, you've got seven years in your, what I call war chest. I talk to our clients about a war chest. If I can go seven years in my, in, and utilize my war chest during those difficult periods without having to touch those more volatile assets, then I should be able to pretty much get through anything that we have faced historically, at least. So financial crisis, uh, Y2K, 9-11, any time period we've gone through where we've had this extended difficult market, we should be able to get through it with having a sufficient war chest. So just to clarify what you're saying is, you mm -hmm. know, when the markets went down, use the example 24%, it took five and a half years for you to gain back that 24% and then continue to accumulate from there. So you're saying that the seven year mark should be okay to cover anything that needs to bounce back. In general, yeah. So what you're basically doing is saying, okay, if that's 70%, and so think about stocks. Stocks went down more, a little bit more than that during that time period. But what we don't want to do, what got people, what's really, it still scares people to this day that that were invested back in that time period is they didn't have a war chest. They When stocks went down as much as they did, well, if I didn't have a war chest, if I had to sell stocks to provide income, I'm selling stocks at a very decreased price. That's where it creates problems. That's where it creates where I've got to see anytime you got to sell something at a low price versus where you bought it, that can create that creates potential higher probability that you could run out of money if you're selling stuff at the wrong time. Okay. So then explain to me a little further about the war chest then, because I'm I'm kind of missing that point. So the war chest, so think about it. So I have lower vaults, so stuff that's not doesn't fluctuate as much. So okay. it could be bonds, could be cash, some combination of those things. So, well, if stocks are going down, these assets should be able to maintain their value pretty well, right? So if stocks are down, if I can go to the war chest to say, I'm going to take my income out of the war chest, then I can leave the stocks alone. I don't have to sell stocks or touch my stocks if they happen to be decreased, say, for example, like in 2022. So if stocks go down 20% or 25%, if I can leave those alone and use the money from my war chest to cover my income needs, then again, having somewhere around five to seven years in my war chest has gotten us through any difficult periods that we might have experienced in the past. Okay. So your war chest is basically where you're taking your everyday right. is out of it. During those difficult periods. I exactly. understand. Okay. Let's talk about the role of equities. So equity. So think of, think of equities as stocks, right? So that's that's just another word for stocks. And you know, typically when you look on the news, you'll go on CNBC or whatever you might see, you'll see the S&P 500. And that's kind of the, the typical representation of what people think of stocks. So the S&P 500, just thinking it's kind of the largest 500 companies out there that, that most people are going to be familiar with. So with stocks, so if we reframe risk a little bit and say, again, we've got, you know, we've got our war chest with stocks, most people think of stocks, it's almost like it's like if they're going to Vegas, right? It's like if I was just going to roll the dice. And on a short-term basis, that can be true. So if you just said, okay, if I looked in tomorrow, if I, I put money on, on stocks on Monday, since you know we're, we're already we're recording this on a Friday and look at, okay, Monday, I've got about a 50-50 chance that stocks are going to be up or go down over in on a particular day, if I just pick the day. The difference though is that over time, that historically has not been the case. The longer we can go out, the longer time frame we're dealing with, the more likely or the higher probability we are going to have a positive return in stocks. So again, back to the idea of growing income over 30 years, if I just said, okay, if I've got a 50-50 chance of a, of a positive return in stocks on one day, just taking one day, well, if I go out 10 years, 
that probability of success. And once again, we'll share all these resources in the show notes, but you've got a 97% chance of having a positive return over any 10 year period going back to 1937. I like that. So the longer the time frame we were working with, the higher the probability of a positive return will be. So again, it's still thinking just a little bit differently about stocks as far as saying, okay, it's, it's not really like Vegas. One day, yeah, maybe so. Longer time periods, not necessarily the case. And I think the other thing that people need to realize is, you know, with stocks, when they when people think I'm invested in stocks, they look at it as kind of the, the stocks is just a term. That's a term I've invested in stocks. But if you think about, okay, what am I really invested in? So if I'm buying stocks, I own, I am a owner in some of the greatest companies in the world. I own, I don't want to get I don't want to turn anybody off. So yeah, you got Amazon, you've got Microsoft, you've got whatever company you you appreciate that you that you like that you use. Right. There's a good chance that you own some piece of that. So I think that's the other part of the mindset is saying, okay, if I own these great companies, even if we go through difficult periods, at some point, if they're if they continue doing what they're doing, their earnings are going to be positive, and that's really what drives stock prices is earnings. Now we're going to go through difficult periods, obviously, and that happens. But overall, think that you, again, I own some of these greatest, the greatest companies in the world. They're going to be okay long-term. Tell me about dividend growth during investing for retirement. Well, I think that's the other, the other parts of, again, thinking about being a stock owner. Uh, because, you know, in the news, it's always about what well, the, the S&P 500 decreased this amount. It decreased 2% or it went up 5% or, you know, whatever the case might be. So that's, that's really just focusing on the value. But one of the keys to being a stock owner is the dividends. So when we're talking about some of these, these great companies that are out there, not only talk about the possibility of stock appreciation. If I bought a stock for $10 and it goes to $15, that means the stock value has increased. But that doesn't consider the fact that a lot of these companies, they share their earnings, they share their profits with you as the investor. So throughout the year, they're paying dividends. So that's another source of potential income that we could consider saying, okay, well, if I if I were going to buy CDs or going to buy bonds and I'm getting interest off of those, it's easy to see because it's kind of visually say, well, if it, the bank tells me I'm getting four and a half percent. But when people invest in stocks, they don't really have that same mindset. So they think about, again, just the fluctuation, the ups and downs of the market on a day-to-day -day basis. But a big part of the returns of stocks is the dividends, which is actually income, where they're actually sharing their earnings with you as the investor and all the other investors who may own that particular company. Well, someone who's had a 401k for a long time, I'm not getting any dividends. <laughs> <laughs> you uh, you uh, you might not be coming. There might not could be cutting you a check, but they're there. So every time you see a statement and you see a reinvested dividend, that means you've it's been paid out, but it's being reinvested back okay. into that particular fund. Yeah. All right, I got you. That makes sense. That makes me feel better. I'm like, wait a minute. I think I'm getting shafted <laughs> here, Eric. They're there. I, I I if you're long as you're invested in stock stock funds, you're getting dividends. Again, they're being reinvested. And one of the great things about 401ks, of course is that you know you're not paying tax on the money as it grows right. so it's tax deferred but so those dividends are basically building up so they're helping you buy more shares of these great companies that you that you're a part owner of right yeah what about managing your portfolio tax burden that's a huge piece so we're talking about these seven uh essential strategies for successful investing retirement we have to think about taxes 
So you brought up 401ks. That's a that's a perfect example of, of where we want to focus our efforts and thinking about, okay, if I'm putting money into my 401k, that's great. It saves me taxes today. But Uncle Sam says at a certain point, at a certain age, you're going to have to start taking money out of those accounts. You can't but let they them- They want you, their money. <laughs> they want their piece of the puzzle. They want their piece of the pie. Absolutely right. So and you know, they, then there's been changes there too. So, you know, for years it was 70 and a half. That was the age where you had to start taking money out of your IRA, your pre-tax IRAs or your 401ks with secure act. It changed in, in 2019, it changed to 72 and now secure act 2.0 has been pushed has pushed it out to either 73 or 75, depending on what your year of birth was. But uncle Sam says there is a point, there's going to be an age where you're going to have to start taking money out. The problem is, okay, if I don't plan in advance and I say, okay, maybe I, I've got uh, I've got Social Security I can live on, or I've got some of these other sources of income, and I'm just going to leave my 401ks and IRAs alone. Well, the problem with that is we get to that age and say, okay, well, I didn't do any advanced planning. Now I've got this big chunk of income. Uncle Sam says I have to take out. That money, when it comes out, is taxable at whatever tax bracket you're in. Now, what also potentially happens is saying, okay, could it push me into a higher tax bracket? If I had to take a pretty good chunk, and again, back, let's use the million dollar example. If I were to take a chunk out of my million dollar 401k or my IRA, that's a pretty decent size amount of income that's going to be taxable to me. Well, what else does it impact? It also impacts your social security taxation. Let's say for some reason, you know, between a husband and wife, you've got, you know, maybe you both have maximum social security benefits. Maybe that's enough to live on. Well, if all you have is social security income, you're basically paying zero tax, pretty close to it at least. Because if you have no other income sources, you're just leaving out Social Security, it's typically going to be lower on the tax scale. Add $30,000 or $35,000 or $40,000 in IRA distributions, now the taxation of your Social Security can be kicked up significantly higher. It could also potentially, depending on the size of your IRAs or your 401ks, it might impact how much you're going to pay for Medicare. Okay. You might go above Irma throw, what are called Irma thresholds, which is how much you pay for Medicare Part B or Part D. If you have a certain amount of income and you hit certain income thresholds, it might force you to pay a higher Medicare premium. So there's all these other potential implications, almost like ripple effects, that when we're talking about tax planning, we want to start as early as possible planning out how is our investment strategy, how are our investments going to be allocated from a tax standpoint. I even think that. You know, I talk to many people, you talk about diversification. We were just talking about stocks and bonds and cash just a little bit ago. Well, that's that's diversification. How much do I want in my war chest? You know, some people might be okay with five years in their war chest. Some people might want rather have 10 years in their war chest. And that's okay. But that's asset allocation. That's how are we going to allocate our investments among stocks, bonds, cash, and so on. Well, I honestly think that tax diversification, that conversation is even more important. So you think about how are my, when I get ready to draw this income out, I talked about retirement income being different than retirement accumulation. It's because where are these dollars going to come? Where should I start taking these dollars out when I get into retirement? So if the only place I have my retirement nest egg is in my 401k. Every single dollar is going to be coming out taxable to me. I have no tax control. I have no tax control at all. Uncle Sam controls my tax liability because everything has to come out of that bucket, Right. Whereas if I said, hey, do I maybe I've got some Roth IRA money. My, I just have a, a taxable brokerage account that I could draw from. Having tax flexibility gives you much more control of saying, okay, if my tax rates, if tax rates go higher, which many people think they're going to do, 
well, I want to have potentially some other source of income that I could draw from some other a different investment portfolio, my Roth account, maybe again, or a brokerage account or some other of these other potential vehicles that we could be utilizing to give you tax control in the future. So what is the last strategy of investing in retirement? So the last one is utilizing a financial advisor. And, you know, obviously I'm, I'm a little bit biased when it comes to uh, that conversation, <laughs> as you'd expect. Uh, but I think you, when you're talking about whether you should or shouldn't use a financial advisor, I think there's, there's a couple of different ways to look at that. One is, um, do I want to take the time to understand these tax laws and understand some of these strategies or would I rather delegate that to somebody who does this on a daily basis? Delegate. <laughs> I want to delegate. <laughs> I don't want to do taxes. I don't want to see them. I don't want to hear about them. <laughs> well, yeah, and, that, and that a lot of people are like that because, you know, we, I, th I tell people, you know, what we've got, our clients are very intelligent. The clients we work, the ladies we work with are very intelligent. It doesn't mean they couldn't do this. The question is, do they have the time or would you rather be doing the thing? We talked about what you find your purpose when you get to retirement. What is your purpose? What are the things you want to do? Do you want to spend time with family and grandchildren and traveling or would you, or do you want to spend time analyzing tax strategies and looking at tax code and looking at all these, looking at investments and when do I rebalance and how do I know when to take money? What would you rather spend your retirement years doing? Mm -hmm. And does it make sense again to work with somebody who can, again, where I can kind of pass off the heavy lifting of retirement planning to somebody else? Uh, doesn't mean you don't want to be a part of the process. Again, that, that's a big conversation point of you want to be part of the process. You want to, you, this is your plan. We're just trying to help you get to your ultimate destination. Yeah. So we're about out of time, Eric. So let's go over some quick action items that we should be doing. I think so. When we're talking about action items, the first thing I would say is, you know, once you're once you're within that retirement red zone, that five year mark of retirement, or when you think your retirement's going to be, that's when you need to start looking at how do I start putting the pieces together. What is my retirement income strategy going to look like? How are my assets allocated? Do I need to start maybe shifting things around just a bit in preparation for it? Because you don't want to get to okay re retirement day, and I don't have my war chest ready. So that would be an example of where within that five-year window, do I start kind of building up my war chest so that when I get to retirement, I've got my five to seven years of income set aside already. So I don't have to be as worried about market volatility in that scenario. And then looking at well, as far as the war chest, how much do you want? Do you want five years? Do you want three years? Do you want seven years? Again, it's going to be very individualized. And that's also going to somewhat drive your decision around, you know, how much income can I take from my portfolio? So if I had, again, just using that million dollar example, let's say I've got the you know, 4% rule, uh, say I'm taking $40,000 a year out, you know, five years, it's about $200,000 in your war chest. For somebody else that's a little more conservative, it might be, hey, I need $400,000 in my war chest. So it's all dependent on your specific situation. How much income do you need to provide the life that you're looking for? Okay. And you should also understand your investment strategy. I think, yeah. And that's where I think it's important as far as, you know, when you we talk about working with an advisor uh, or doing it on your own, how can you, do? You, are you able to discuss, do you understand what your investment strategy is? And I think that's where the confidence and when we get into in a difficult market, understanding what, what do I have a watch? What is my strategy for getting through difficult markets? Whether you're doing it on your own or you're working with a financial advisor, you should be, have some level of understanding of what that strategy is rather than uh, 
if you don't, it, it create it can create panic. If I say, okay, if we, if we went through 2022 and I don't really understand what's what's going on here, I don't really understand my strategy here. That's when emotion, unfortunately, will, will a lot of times take over and you'll react emotionally, which is about the worst thing that you can do from an investment perspective. Uh, I think all these all these strategies about investing, everything else, the biggest impact on investment success, in my opinion, is behavior, is not reacting emotionally in difficult periods. But that takes under again understanding your strategy is good, the best way to go about doing that. And you talk about getting a second opinion. Is that something that's common? I think it should be definitely. So again, when you, if you, especially, you know, if you're working with a financial advisor, let's say you've been working for the last 10, 15, 20 years, ask them the, the tough questions when it comes to retirement income, what is your experience with retirement income? You know, what is your philosophy on retirement income? Do you, again, back to the point of specializing in retirement income versus retirement accumulation. If you have a financial advisor that doesn't understand the tax implications, of uh, especially these recent tax laws. If you have a financial advisor who doesn't really who doesn't really understand, you know, determining which accounts should I be drawing from first to maximize my tax situation, those are the types of situations we might say I might need to get a second opinion over what I've been doing. Uh, and again, a second opinion doesn't have to be related to working with a financial advisor. Just a second opinion on what you've done for the last twenty years of your life. If you've been managing everything on your own, again, a lot of that is a lot of your success leading up to retirement could just be you're a good saver, you're disciplined, you've put money in your 401k on a consistent basis, and and it's helped you build up a decent amount of assets. But again, it's that conversation of how do I start drawing money out that can get indicate that hey, maybe I do need to get you know a second set of eyes looking at this to see what I might be missing because it can it can make a significant impact if you've got the right person to help you. Okay, so it, it all comes back to the beginning and today's quote. It does. So yeah, again, positive mind finds a way it can be done. A negative mind looks for all the ways that it can't be done. And when it comes to investing, again, positive mindset is is it makes a huge difference on uh, well, what your potential success is going to be. Absolutely. So, Eric, how do people get in touch with you? Again, the best way to do so is uh, visit our website. Uh, www.blakewealthmanagement.com. Uh, you'll see the start here button in the top right. Uh, that's where you can review our Simply Retirement Roadmap process. Again, the exact process we go through with every single prospective client who's looking to learn more about our firm to see if it's a good fit. It starts with that 15-minute introductory phone call just to learn more about each other, see if, uh, if there's an opportunity for us to help you. And if so, we'll talk about what the next steps look like. Uh, we've got a lot of other free resources on there as well. You can sign up for our newsletter, the Simply Retirement Newsletter. Uh, it's a weekly newsletter that comes out every Thursday morning that uh, we talk about a lot of these same concepts and strategies. Okay, thank you so much. And make sure to tune in next week when we are going to be talking about your financial planning principles. So thank you everyone for joining us today. Please like, follow, and share this podcast with your friends. Until next time, I'm Wendy McConnell. That's it for today's episode of the Simply Retirement Podcast. We hope you found our insights and advice helpful in planning for a fulfilling retirement. Don't forget to take action on what you've learned today. Visit our website at blakewealthmanagement.com to learn more about our firm and review our Simply Retirement Roadmap process to get you on the right path to the retirement you deserve. And don't forget to click the follow button to be notified when new episodes become available. Thank you for joining us on this journey, and we look forward to helping you achieve your retirement goals. Remember, 
Retirement is not the end of the road. It is the start of a new journey. So embrace it and make the most of it. Until next time, take care. Content here is for illustrative purposes and general information only. It is not legal, tax, or individualized financial advice, nor is it a recommendation to buy, sell, or hold any specific security or engage in any specific trading strategy. Results will vary. Past performance is no indication of future results or success. Market conditions change continuously. This commentary reflects the personal opinions, viewpoints, and analyses of Blake Wealth Management. It does not necessarily represent those of RFG Advisory, private client services, their clients, or their employees. This commentary should not be regarded as a description of advisory services provided by Blake Wealth Management or RFG Advisory or performance returns of any client. The views reflected in the commentary are subject to change at any time without notice. Securities offered by registered representatives of private client services. Member FINRA SIPC. Advisory services offered by investment advisory representatives of RFG Advisory, a registered investment advisor. Private client services, Blake Wealth Management, and RFG Advisory are unaffiliated entities. Advisory services are only offered to clients or prospective clients where RFG Advisory and its representatives are properly licensed or exempt from licensure. No advisory services may be rendered by RFG Advisory unless a client agreement is in place.